Good morning. It's good to be with you, finally, for good now. I don't have to travel back to Milwaukee in two days or something, which seems to always have been the case for the last couple of years here. Thank you to everyone who's supported um, myself and my wife and now daughter um, through the last couple of years as we um, followed this call and were connected with Good Shepherd. Thank you, and thank you for your hospitality. It is really a joyful thing for us to be here. I think it's, a, it's just a joyful time at Good Shepherd in general because the church is in a sort of, um, if you haven't noticed, a kind of transition stage. There's a lot of big things going on and uh, we're sort of like on the cusp of, of some new things and it's really exciting. And so um, the church is sort of rethinking how it does ministry and mission and how it serves the community around here and there's all kinds of exciting things going on. So for me to get to join in um, with what God has already begun here is just a really humbling and joyful privilege. For this very reason, I think today's gospel passage is especially relevant, an especially relevant word to us here today at Good Shepherd. When I picture the scene in my mind that we heard about, I feel like I'm watching something from a Stephen King movie, initially at least. Um, this dark place that is filled with death and this man who is possessed and out of his mind, flailing, breaking bondages of chains. He is so overwhelmed with evil. It's, uh, it's a little bit of an undesirable place. And I think maybe that's Luke's point in describing it the way he does, is that this is a place that is not exactly a, a place where community and social life are thriving. This is a place where only such an outcast who, can't, who cannot be in society is sent to live in chains. In Luke's gospel account from beginning to end, this is the first time that Jesus... Of course, a religious observant Jew goes into Gentile territory. He has had interactions with Gentiles, people outside of the Jewish people in the Holy Land. But this is the first time, and you, and you, you see this when you back up a few verses, and he says to his disciples, get in the boat, we're going to the other side of the lake. Now, they would have seen where he was talking about, and they probably would have raised eyebrows and said, over there? But Jesus says, get in the boat, we're going to the other side of the lake. There's something over there, there's work to be done. And so he takes this foray into Gentile territory and what to a lot of Jews would have been known in a sense as enemy territory. Think about how Luke describes this place. The spirit that, um, that possesses this man is described as unclean. It is, uh, in general, this, these tombs specifically is a place of the dead. Dead bodies for a Jew, a religiously observant Jew, are unclean. They are not to be, um, you are not to encounter or, or be around them. And then also there is, of course, the swine herds running around here. So Luke is emphasizing unclean, unclean, unclean. This is not religious boundary territory. But even so, we find Jesus crossing boundaries to come into this this land of enemy territory. I think it's worth emphasizing all these little things about Luke's description of this place because it helps us learn something about the ministry and mission of Jesus. And anytime we learn something about the mission and ministry of Jesus, we learn something about the ministry and mission of his church. That's us here. You see, 
God's desire for his church's mission requires nothing less than for us to cross boundaries to reach the lost people he loves. And Jesus always intentionally crosses boundaries to reach the people that God loves and the people that have been shunned by others. Can you imagine hearing the news about this man? Luke tells us that he was healed and that the people were in awe of it, that there was a testimony sent back to the, to the land, where the, the city where the people were living, and they all come out, the townspeople come out to see um, this man who they once knew as a raving lunatic, uh, and he's healed. And Luke tells us that he is sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. This is a transformation of significant proportion. It's unbelievable. And the people are afraid because they recognize that only someone with great power and authority could send out such evil of such a high gravity and heal a man. And they become afraid, and they, even to the point where they eventually ask Jesus to leave because they can't make sense of it. This man is transformed by the love of God because someone, Jesus in this case, crossed a boundary to reach him. As I reflected on this passage and thought about the tragedies over the past week, which are, have been atrocious and in and, and, and rapid-fire secession, I, I thought, what if someone had crossed a boundary to reach the shooter or a shooter from anywhere or someone who does any act of destruction? What if someone had crossed a boundary to share the healing, transforming love of God with that person? Might that have changed the future of the world? Friends in Christ, the powers at work in this world that keep people addicted, that keep people in bondage to evil, that keep people in the darkness from coming into the light of knowing the true God of heaven and earth, those powers are no match for the Savior. This is a Savior whose authority is recognized by a legion of demons. Uh, it comes from the Latin word legio. It was used to denote a military unit of between five and 6,000 soldiers. So Luke isn't trying to get us to estimate how many exactly demons were possessing this man. He's just saying this is a possession. This is evil on a cosmic scale. This is huge. And yet Jesus walks up and commands them to leave, and they say, please don't send us back to the abyss. Send us into the swine. And off they went to their destruction. The authority of God, the authority of Christ, is no match for the brokenness and the darkness of this world. You see, when... We become willing to cross boundaries, physical boundaries, comfort zone boundaries, spiritual boundaries. God is pleased with that willingness to take risk and he will bless it and he will pour out his healing and his salvation and his renewal. His own authority backs us up. That's the surface level story going on here, this transformation of this man, but if we if we zoom out a little bit and like, look at the big picture for a minute, I think it will help us put this one image into a greater framework so that we can see um, something that's significant for us. Now you remember that from the very beginning, the Creator God, the God revealed in Holy Scripture, is a God who was on mission after people from the very beginning. 
Let me remind you of what happens in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve turn their back on God. They disobey and so become aware of the great chasm between humanity and God. They feel shame because they have sinned and been disobedient. And what do they do? They run into the garden to hide. Their, their initial reaction is to hide from, the, from God out of fear. And what are the first words that God says to them? Does he say, I'm done with you. This whole thing is off. I'm destroying it. I'm destroying you right now. Does he say, well, so much for that. I'm done. I'm done with this whole creation business. No. His first three words are, where are you? Where are you? You see, God is always pursuing. God is always pursuing people to bring them into his family, to bring them into his fold. Now, of course, the answer to what happens um, throughout the beginning of Genesis up to chapter 11 with sin and disobedience comes right away in Genesis chapter 12 when we're introduced to this man named Abraham who God calls and says, Abraham, I'm setting you apart I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, and that nation is going to be my set-apart people who become a blessing to the entire creation, who become a blessing to the world. He says, through this nation, all nations are going to be blessed. But I'm going to set this nation apart. And as the story goes on, as we all know, it's one miserable failure after another. Um, With God's people, they continue to sin, they fall into idolatry, and they fail time and time again to carry out the mission that they have been given. Now, of course, God himself provides the solution to this problem in Jesus Christ. God made flesh. And Jesus comes and lives this perfect life of obedience, perfect life of mission, note, um, a perfect life of submission to the Lord and gives his own self up to death for the renewal of, of all humanity. But not only does that happen, this Jesus, while he is walking the earth, gathers followers around himself, gathers disciples. And he takes these disciples who are kind of nobodies in society, fishermen and tax, fishermen and tax collectors and so forth, and he sends them out and he says, you go make disciples. And then they make disciples and those disciples go out and make disciples. And so that goes on for 2,000 years and here we are today. Disciples who are still charged with that commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This commission isn't optional for a Christian disciple. There's not, Jesus doesn't finish it with saying, if you feel like it or if you're in the right kind of day. He says, this is what my people are to do. They're to be out in the world teaching, preaching, proclaiming healing to the lost. But so often in our imperfection, we often avoid the uncomfortable. We neglect the new and unfamiliar. We stay away from those who are different from us. It's easier to stay in our comfort zones. Yet our Lord went there. And today we have the perfect image to follow of crossing boundaries, social boundaries, to go to those who are lost and broken. I have to say that this week I am so um, impressed by how this city of Orlando has come together, people of different 
um, views and religions and across borders to serve this community that has been attacked, this Latino LGBT community has been attacked in a murderous way, and the people who have come together from all different stripes and beliefs have come together to bring support. I see in that the love of God, and it has been amazing. So I want to pose a few questions for us today to think about. What would this crossing boundaries business look like for us? What would it look like for us as individuals? What would it look like for us as a church, as the collective body of Christ? What might God be calling us to? What kind of people? What kind of place? What kind of people might God be bringing to us? What kind of school might God be bringing to us to serve? How might God be calling us to be the presence of the kingdom of God in this community in Maitland, Florida, and to the surrounding neighborhoods? There's a passage in the Gospels where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully, or some translations say violently, uh, advancing. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now that's a kind of a puzzling saying. What does he mean by that? What Jesus is saying is that the church, Jesus and his disciples, are on the offense in the world. We're on the offense. And that doesn't mean we go out and lambast people who aren't like us or don't believe like us or go out and violently uh, bring, bring uh, the gospel violently. It means that the powers at work in the world that keep people in the darkness cannot withstand the light of the church, a light that is to shine out into the world, a city set on a hill. We are on the offense. You see, this authority, the very authority of Jesus, the authority of the living God that legions of demons recognized and trembled before, that's been given to his church. That's like the battery pack that God has plugged into his church and says, I have enabled you, go out and make disciples. He's given, he's called us to do it, but he's also enabled us to do it. Each and every one of us has different gifts and callings, but we are all called to be on board with that one mission of bringing Jesus Christ into this world. Now, think about that for a minute. I mean, this is kind of amazing, like really amazing. Like we should get a little bit excited when we think about that. (laughs) The creator God who made all of this, this community in Maitland who made Eatonville and all of its inhabitants and Winter Park and all of its inhabitants and Orlando and all of its inhabitants who's created all of this beauty and who oversees all of it and is sovereign over it has called you and me to join in on his cosmic restoration project it goes outside of just people and humanity it's cosmic so it has to do with stewarding the earth and steward stewarding everything around us but we are called onto into that mission and god is going to restore all things what a beautiful picture of this at the very end of holy scripture in the book of revelation where we see a scene in heaven where people from all tribes and nations and cultures are surrounding the throne. There are masses of people surrounding the throne, all different, worshiping the one living God. 
What an amazing picture. And that's what we're working towards. That's what we're working towards when we serve a special needs school. That's what we're working towards when we do discipleship with young people, when we do evangelism, when we do Tabitha's treasures and make caps for those who need them. That is what we do in all of our ministries. It's a little part. All, all of us contribute a small part to that giant restoration project. That's our mission. That's exciting stuff. A very popular question for new curates or rectors at churches is how are you going to help us reach young people? How are you going to help us get young people in our church? Um, A lot of churches today have lost their hold on society of millennials and younger people. And I think that's a good question. And I I want to reach young people. Uh, Would that all the young people in this community would fill these pews. But I think that there's a better question for all of us to ask together. It's a, it's a, it's a question that is an umbre- it's an, more of an umbrella of a category, but I think the question that we should ask is, how are we going to reach the lost, the broken, the addicted, the people who, are, who come on our campus because they don't have a home, how are we going to reach the people who are like the man who was in the tombs that was possessed by demons, cast out from society? How are we going to reach them? How are we going to reach the lonely? How are we going to reach any marginalized people group and bring them here and get them to church to experience the saving love of Jesus Christ? That's the question we should all be asking together. Young people not excluded. They fit into that category too. I want to suggest to you that there's an answer to this question. We are going to reach the people God, God's heart beats for, God loves and desires to save and draw out of the darkness into the light when we are willing to cross boundaries, when we are willing to take risks. God is on the side of the risk-takers. Remember Moses? But, 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 but God, I, I have a speaking issue and I, I can't do it and I can't do it. And he says, I'll be with you and I'll speak the words from your mouth. God is on the side of the risk takers. When we trust in his authority, when we pray without ceasing for God's discernment and wisdom to guide our church forward into the future. Because if we don't do that first, we can't do the rest of it the right way. It has to be soaked in prayer and in discernment and to make ourselves, of course, available to the communities around us and not, not just hope that they come to us, but ha- find ways of reaching out and making our presence known and making their welcome known here. That's how we're going to do it. If we do that, perhaps one day, just like we saw in our gospel today with the townspeople coming out to, to say, we've got to see this because this is impossible. Maybe one day, we'll see those townspeople come here to see the people that they once knew as broken and afflicted and homeless and lost gathering here with God's people around the Lord's table proclaiming all that Jesus has done for them. Amen.